Uh, we are um, we're in week two of a series that we started last week, thus week two. Uh, we're in week two of a series entitled The Ordinary Means of Grace, which is a term that's used often in Protestant tradition to describe the means by which God has given his people in order for us to experience his grace, as well as the means by which Jesus' church witnesses to the world and men and women come to know their need for the Savior. I said last week, we're doing this series at this time of year because each year at the beginning of September, we take a few Sundays to talk about who we are as a church. We talk about our vision and our mission and our, pers- uh, our purpose kind of as a type of checkup for us to make sure that our gatherings are focused and intentional. Because we're not here simply, as I said last week, to do church. We are here to be the church. And the church has been given a mission by our Lord Jesus Christ to bring hope and salvation to the world as we live as witnesses of the gospel message. We need to be, as I said last week, constantly mindful of the fact that we are in a battle, that we are in a battle for the souls of men and women, and we are on the front lines of that battle. And so we need to know what our marching orders are from our commander. And so in this series, we're asking the question and answering it, hopefully, how do we accomplish the task that's been given to us? What are the means by which we primarily communicate and display the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to display God's glory, to partner with the Holy Spirit in the work of sanctification and transform souls, bringing the lost into Jesus's kingdom. Because whatever those means are, that's what we want to be marked by as a church. And as God has given his church four primary means of grace, by which we accomplish our mission. And we looked at the first one last week, and the first one was the Word. The Word of God being preached and being sung and being read by His people. This morning we're going to look at the second one, the prayers of God's people. And in the coming weeks, we are going to consider the other two, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so let's pray together as we dig into the Word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly this morning. I'm so thankful, Lord, for every person here today. Lord, I'm grateful for the voices of the saints being lifted to you in praise. It just feeds the soul to hear your people want to lift their voices to you. We have such an honor that with the breath in our lungs, we can give praise to your holy name. Lord, every time we gather, we want it to be to your glory. And Lord, we ask as we do every, every Sunday that as we praise your name through song, as we open your word, that you would make us more into the image of Jesus. That you would work those things in our hearts and in our souls that need to be worked. That we may reflect our Savior. And so, Father, I pray this morning, I plead with you. 
that as we talk about prayer, Lord, would you build such a hunger for prayer in the hearts of your people? Would you build such a deep desire that we would be a people of prayer? That we would be a people that are on our knees, that are before you, that are lifting holy hands to you. Father, remind us that we can do nothing apart from you. And you have given us this glorious gift of prayer. Father, I pray that that the word would go deep this morning and transform hearts. That we would hunger for more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as as many of you know, we're going through uh, the book of Acts right now in our men's and women's group on Tuesday nights. And, And one of the marks that is very evident of the early church that you can see in the opening a few verse or few chapters of Acts is the disciples' devotion to prayer. Starting immediately after the ascension of Jesus, while awaiting the coming Holy Spirit that he had promised them, you get this impression that there was a deep union amongst Jesus' disciples, a union that was marked by and most likely cultivated through their prayer lives. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, Right after Jesus has ascended, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Two words there in verse 14 give us this very clear picture of the importance of prayer for these early disciples. First, the verse says, all of these with one accord, which expresses this oneness of heart and this oneness of mind amongst the disciples. The Greek word there is this word homothumadon which means to have the same passion and the same desire as one another. It's a word that's used all throughout, actually, the book of Acts to portray the unity of the early church. And it's used here to portray the unity of mind and this singular desire amongst them to devote themselves to the practice of prayer. Meaning the importance of it was universally upheld amongst them. Something which... I don't know if we can say about the church today. If asked, I think every Christian and every person in here would say, yes, prayer is of the utmost importance, but the actual practice of it would tell a different story about how important we actually think it is. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. But second, the the word that displays the importance of prayer in verse 14 is is this other word, devotion. The verse says they were devoting themselves to prayer. Devotion is this, this word that means to have an ardent and enthusiastic and fervent dedication to something. The Greek word is, okay, hold on with me, proskartereo, which which means literally to attend constantly to something and to show strength 
which prevails. I love that picture to show strength which prevails. It communicates this idea that prayer requires this endurance within God's people, that we should pray and remain constant in it until we receive an answer to that which we are praying for. That's the idea behind showing strength until we prevail. It's this idea of perseverance in the lives of God's people. And before you conclude that life won't allow that kind of dedication to prayer, it does. It's just a matter of whether we prioritize it amongst everything else that we have going on in our lives. And so this this picture of prayer upon the birth of Jesus' church shows that they were one mind regarding its importance. And together, they persisted in their devotion to it. In fact, the devotion to prayer amongst the early believers is one of the main marks of the church in Acts 2, where Luke kind of outlines the fellowship of the believers. Luke says in Acts 2.42, and they they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The importance of prayer is portrayed at least four times in the first four chapters of Acts. And so where did this devotion to prayer come from? And I think first, this is just kind of my thought, but I think first the disciples understood their inability to do anything without the Lord's intervention, right? I think they grasped that they were ordinary men, that they were ordinary women, that they had no ability apart from the Lord working through them to to accomplish the task that he had been given them, right? Like I think about the fact that all they had to do was look back at their experience of following him. The fact that they struggled so much to follow him. The fact that they struggled so much to comprehend his teachings and and what he had done. And to the point that they must have realized they can't grasp the ways of the kingdom apart from the Lord's intervention. They can't do it on their own. So I think it drove them to prayer. And, And second, I think they recognized the rhythm of prayer from Jesus's own life. And they concluded that it was important. They saw what he was able to do. And they saw that prayer was central to his life. And so they they gleaned from him that this was a practice that was incredibly important to them. Because throughout the Gospels, we see this rhythm of prayer in Jesus' life, which shows his own devotion to it. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Right before Jesus chose the 12 disciples, Luke tells us that he prayed fervently. Luke 6, 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. After feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 14, 23, it says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. If you were to do a quick survey of Jesus's prayer life during his earthly ministry, here's what it reveals. Jesus went up on mountains to pray. He went beside the sea to pray. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed at noon. He prayed at dusk. He prayed all night. He prayed fervently with all of his might. 
He prayed when he was lonely, when he was sad, when he was weary, when he was joyful. He prayed for those who were sorrowful. He prayed for those who were stuck in sin. He prayed for those who were in trouble, for those who needed physical healing. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for you and I and all of the people who were far off. He prayed for those who loved him, for those who hated him. He prayed for those who killed him. He prayed for himself and he prayed for his father's glory. And so I think we can safely say that prayer was of the utmost importance to Jesus's life. And that continued into the lives of his early followers. And so should it be the same for his church today? I think we all know the answer to that. Kind of setting you up there, right? The answer is yes. It's a resounding yes. The commands of our Lord to his people to pray are found all throughout the New Testament. When, When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, He specifically said, when you pray, not if you pray. Because he expected that we would be people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 2.8, I love this one. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I love that one. Like, I just think about the power behind that one. Like, if the men in this place all lifted their holy hands, we were just praying, we were just prayer warriors. Oh, my goodness. Like, there would be no end to what the Lord would do in this place. I genuinely believe that. And so I'm not, I'm not preaching anyone that, or anything that anyone hasn't heard this morning. If you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, you know the importance of prayer. Prayer was essential to Jesus. It was central to the early church, and it continues to be central until our king returns. But though we know it and agree with it, Prayer is still one of the most neglected practices amongst followers of Christ. Like I know, and it's been proven over and over in so many churches, that prayer nights are the least visited nights of anything. The least attended. In a religious landscape study that was done by the Pew Research Center, they asked about the frequency of prayer amongst Christians. And the findings show that there's an increasing prayerlessness happening amongst God's people. Especially in certain demographics. Only 20% of millennial Christians say that they pray daily. Only 28% from Generation X. Amongst men, only 40% of Christian men say they pray daily. The studies also show that Things like money, the more money someone has, the more educated they they are, the less likely there are to pray on a regular basis, as low as 15% and 9%, respectively. And so we don't need studies to affirm that there's a problem of prayerlessness in Jesus' church. 
But studies put tangible numbers on what we see and what we know to be the case already, that there is a problem when it comes to prayer. And I want to give you at least four reasons for why prayerlessness is a problem in Jesus' church. The first one is because we have this false belief in our own self-sufficiency. We put far too much trust in our own ability, in our own strength, and in our own effort. Oftentimes in our culture especially, we feel insulated. We feel safe. Because so many of our needs are just right there. They're readily available to us. And it builds this false belief in our own self-sufficiency, which breeds prayerlessness. In fact, prayerlessness in the life of a believer is a strong indication that we are depending on ourselves and not God. It's kind of a litmus test. If your life is filled with prayerlessness, you're relying on you. You're not relying on God. The second reason that leads to prayerlessness is our hurry and our busyness. The first casualty of a life that is too hurried and too busy is prayer. And I know this because I've fallen into this trap more than once myself. I I can think of a number of times over the last couple of years where I've just had such a long to-do list that I've literally been like, oh, I want to pray. I don't have time to pray. And that right there should be an indication that my rhythms are out of whack. But I often just press on and it's foolishness prayer is the first thing that's going to go in a busy life or a hurried life and it's interesting to me because i had a little mini two-day retreat a couple weeks ago and the lord was talking to me about this and i've had a few conversations with people in here and it seems like the lord is talking about busyness with people in this season that he's talking about hurry in this season That we need to be a people that walk in the rhythm of Jesus, not the rhythm of the world. Or else we're never going to hear his voice. We're not going to receive his promptings because we just don't have time for it. And I believe he's just talking to us as a body right now about that specific thing. You know, it's when you talk to people. Oftentimes when you you go up and you you introduce yourself to someone or you've seen someone for the first time that day, you go, hey, how you doing? What's their response? Good, Good, just busy. Right? That's what you often get. I'm good, I'm busy. We're we're way too busy and and our busyness in our prayer or our hurry is a prayer killer and it's killing the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. The third reason I think is just plain unbelief. There's just a struggle to believe that the Lord is going to answer our prayers. We just doubt. Oh, if I pray for this, is he really going to answer me or should I just try and do it myself? There's unbelief amongst God's people that the Lord will respond to them. And fourth, and maybe the saddest, I think we've, we've lost the majesty of God. We've lost our awe in the Lord. We've lost the, the magnificent truth that the king of the universe wants to be with us. And we need to get that back. Here's a tough question that we need to consider and we need to wrestle with. 
Is prayerlessness sin? Is prayerlessness sin? Right? As we already looked at, we are commanded to pray. We know that it's the right thing to do. And what does James 4.17 say? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's sin. Without a doubt, we're commanded to pray. We know it's the right thing to do. So if we fail to do it, it is disobedience to God. When you consider the fact that prayerlessness is the result of things like hurry and self-sufficiency and unbelief, it's the result of a lack of desire for God. It's the result of a lack of care for others because we're not interceding for them to the one who can make changes in their life. And it shows a lack of a care for the advancement of the gospel if we're not praying to that end. And so when you consider prayerlessness through those things, it makes us see what it is. It is a much more serious problem than we often consider it to be. We often view prayer as something, you know, we should do, but when we don't do it, it's like, ah, no, it's disobedience to the Lord. It's important for us to recognize prayerlessness in this way as a serious deficiency in our faith. And it is something that does need to be repented of. We need to know the seriousness of prayerlessness in God's eyes. But having said that, I'm not going to win you to a prayerful life through guilt. Right? And so we need to recognize it. Yes, it is disobedience. Yes, it needs to be repented of. But I'm not going to win you to prayer through that. And so what I want to do is I think one of the ways that we combat prayerlessness is by being rooted in the glorious truth of what prayer actually is. And so what I want to do is I want to give us a vision for prayer as a means of grace. This gift that has been given to us from our king that we get to enjoy. And so I'm going to give you seven reasons why prayer is a gift of grace from the Lord. And I hope that as we look at these things that the Lord just stirs up your hearts for it through the Holy Spirit. Because I can't. And so I hope the Lord doesn't. So first, prayer is a means of grace. Because through prayer, we experience communion with God. You just sit on that for a minute. We experience communion with God through prayer. This is what King David longed for in his life. There are so many Psalms of him talking about this. In Psalm 27, he writes, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. In his temple, sorry. David's desire was communion with the Lord to be in his presence and dwell with him all the days of his life. In other Psalms, David reflects on experiencing God in the secret place, describing this intimacy that he had with the Lord. The the way you and I cultivate such communion with our Father is through our prayer lives. It is the primary way in which we get to be 
in the presence of God while we remain here on earth. Timothy Keller said prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe-inspiring praise of his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking him his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. In prayer, we get to dwell with the Lord. We get to gaze upon the beauty of him. We get to inquire of him. And it is absolutely amazing thing, as I said, that the king of the universe wants to be with us in relationship with us and gave us this means by which we get to be with him and know him. And so it is a means of grace because through prayer, we experience communion with God. Number two, through prayer, we experience delight in God. That's what our hearts need. We need to delight in God. You know, we've actually been commanded to delight in our Heavenly Father. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. You know what? As I spend more years with my wife, Kate, and our time together increases, my delight in her increases. And all the husbands are like, amen, right? Like, as you get to know her more, like my love for her, my pleasure in her is greater and more sustaining and fulfilling than it was when we first started dating because I know her so much more. I know the intimacies of her heart way more now than I did then. It just causes this delight to stir up in me towards her. And the same principle is true for our Heavenly Father. The more we spend time with Him, the more we commune with Him in prayer, the more we will actually delight in Him and be able to live out this command to delight in the Lord because we will know His character and it will give us gladness and we will find rest in Him. And that is really what delighting in the Lord is all about. It is finding fulfillment and joy and rest in Him. And prayer is the gift by which we experience this gladness that grows over time and nourishes our souls as we spend our days in the presence of our Father. Through prayer, we get to delight in God. How cool is it? Like, you get the opportunity to delight in the God of the universe. You can't actually wrap your head around that fully. You can't. Number three, through prayer, we experience freedom from our burdens. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Prayer is how you and I unburden the load that we carry as a result of the sinful world that we are living in. And sometimes this means confession of sins, going before our Father and asking for forgiveness. Sometimes it means seeking peace and seeking refuge in the Lord during a storm in our life. Maybe a storm caused by another person that's coming against us. Sometimes it means seeking protection from the fiery darts of the enemy that are coming against us and all of his attempts to try to sift us. Whatever the cause, Whatever the symptom, 
Whatever the thing is that brings us to our knees, we find at the feet of our Lord Jesus that there is freedom that is not found anywhere else. The word picture that Jesus uses here will be familiar to the farmers amongst us. Jesus is alluding to the fact that that animals would be yoked together to, to pull whatever burden is placed upon them, such as a plow, when they're working the fields. And Jesus is using this picture to teach us that that when you are burdened by something, you are yoked to that thing. And he's telling us, unyoke yourself from that and yoke yourself to me. Because I'm able to carry it. I'm able to, to do your part of it even, that you cannot handle on your own. My burden, or my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we get to experience this through prayer. For through prayer, we experience the love of our Father. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. All of those who are in Christ, God has called us children because he loves us. There's several dads in this room. I think about my four kids and the time that I spend with them. That is a tangible way in which my young children experience my love. If I was unapproachable and I didn't want them around, as young kids, they they would struggle to, to trust the love that I have for them. The same is true for God. And the amazing thing about our Heavenly Father is that He has sacrificed everything so that we could spend time with Him. He has sacrificed far more than most earthly fathers would sacrifice to be with their kids. And He's told us to come to him in everything. If we have doubt about God's love, you know, we'll misunderstand God's commands and think he's telling us to do things that, that we don't really want to do in order to show his authority or something like that. No, that's not what it is. You know, I think about the command to confess our sins to him. It's a practice that is largely lost, I think. And I think in part because Christians misconceive the intention behind it. it. It's not to remind us constantly of our guilt, of our shame. That's not what it is. Our Father has given us confession to make sure there is nothing that keeps us from Him. Because He wants to be with us. He doesn't want anything to get in the way. And he's proven that that is the motivation through the reality that he sacrificed his son on the cross so that he could have us. Like that should put to bed any doubts right there. Number five, through prayer, we experience the awe of God. I would say there are 
few things that are more awe-inspiring to a follower of Jesus than when God answers your prayers. Right? Like when you pray and your heavenly father answers your prayer, like you, that is a mountaintop moment that people cannot take you down from. You're just like, my God is amazing. Look what he did. And through prayer, we get to experience the awe of God. Through faith-filled prayers, we literally get to see mountains moved, right? Hezekiah was told he was going to die. He prayed to the Lord and the Lord gave him 15 more years. Hannah, she was childless, could not have one, prayed to the Lord. He opened her womb. Peter was in prison. The church prayed and literally out of prison. The angel of the Lord came. The guards had no idea. And Peter was gone in the morning. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. Jabez prayed and God kept him from evil. There are so many countless stories of men and women praying and seeing God doing miraculous things in Scripture and not just in Scripture, amongst us. There are so many things that God has done. Hear the stories of the men and women just in this room, and it will make you just be in awe of the Lord and what He can do through prayer. And through prayer, we get to experience that. We get to experience his power and his majesty and his set apartness as he responds to our intercessions and petitions. Amazing. Amazing. Six, through prayer, we experience the provision of God. Jesus said in Matthew six eleven to pray like this, give us our daily bread. Matthew seven eleven. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Through prayer, we experience the provision of God. And last, through prayer, we experience the grace of God. And this last one may seem a little bit redundant because I said all of these, prayer is the means of grace. That's the point of this whole message. I'm just restating that fact, but I'm restating it because it sums up all that we have said so far and all of the things that I haven't said that we get to experience through prayer. The grace of being with God, the grace of knowing him more, the grace of seeing prayers answered, the grace of getting to pray for one another, the grace of growing in selflessness as we do so, all of it is grace. And so as we wind down, we need to consider what does all of this mean to us? What does it mean for us as a church? Well, just like the word of God will always be central to our gatherings. That's what I said last week. The word of God will always be central to our gatherings. The prayers of God's people are the gas pedal that will propel us forward as a church. We will accomplish very little if we are an unprayerful people. But we will accomplish far more than we could ever imagine if we are a church marked by prayer. And so to that end, Many of you know in here that on Wednesdays at lunchtime, we gather for prayer. 
And there is a, a faithful group of men and women who come every Wednesday to pray for this church, to pray for our community, to pray for what the Lord is doing. And understandably, a lot of you can't make it on Wednesdays at lunch because you're working. But if you can, if you have that space, come and join us as we pray for one another. I also felt the conviction of the Lord this week that prayer needs to be a bigger part of our services. We've, as a culture, we've kind of replaced prayer with 50% worship and 50% message. Which isn't a bad thing. Like Those things are central. But prayer has been kind of put to the side. In a lot of places, prayer has almost become, become this kind of filler that you use to transition from one thing to another. And that's not what it should be. It should be central. And so I believe that I need to model it more here. That we as a people need to model it more in our gatherings and uphold it as important. And so that's what we want to do from here. And so I, I want to be sure that, that we start to do that in the coming weeks. That we engage in prayer more when we're gathered together. Mark, Mark Dever, he's a, he's a pastor from Washington, D.C. He's got a rather dry sense of humor. But he once said, Include so much prayer in your gatherings that those who are present who are only pretending to love Jesus get bored. It's, like, it's kind of on the nose, but like, I understand what he's saying. I want to see God move mightily in our midst. And, and prayer paired with the word and worship will be the means that causes that to happen. The means to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I'm believing, I'm genuinely believing that one day soon, as a church, we're going to have a prayer night. And it's not going to be a prayer and worship night, it's going to be a prayer night. And it'll be the most well-attended night of anything that we've done as a church. That's what I'm believing, and that's what I'm praying for. I want to just end really quickly on a, a personal level. If you struggle with prayer, examine the rhythms of your life. I had to go away for a couple days to do this, and some of you don't have that space to do it. But try to find that space and examine the rhythms of your life, because I can guarantee you, if you are experiencing prayerlessness, the cause is probably hurry and busyness. And you need to find rhythms that align more with Jesus. When you look at Jesus in the gospel, he was busy, but he was never stressed, and he was always willing to be interrupted. And that tells you what kind of pace that he was living at. For me, for a while there, if I got interrupted, oof, right, that's a good sign. That kind of tells you where you're at. You know, if you've got a task and you get interrupted by it and you just kind of poof, you may be struggling with hurry and busyness. So genuinely. And, and the other thing I would say is if you struggle with what to pray, then do the lost art of praying God's word. Go into the Psalms, read the Psalms, and just pray it back to the Lord. That's why he's given it to us. Or in your Bible reading, when something sticks out to you, just pray that. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be fancy. But it's an easy way to start, just praying the Lord's word back to him.
Let's pray together.